Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we enjoy May. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So just a reminder about that, and we have some special things. I trust that it will be an encouragement. Uh, next Sunday, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I hope that you will be with us. Um, thank you for many of you who have volunteered to help on Saturday with the memorial for Wayne Walters and encourage you to come and celebrate his life with us this Saturday at 1130. And then Bridget Volden, we have a memorial service for her coming up on Friday the 26th. And uh, so we celebrate her life of over a hundred years. And so uh, many of you know Bridget as well as Wayne. And so we're just to pray for their families, encouragement, as, and as we celebrate their lives and the hope that both of them had in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that we are new in you. As we've been singing this morning, we are a new creation, a new creature in you. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word, nothing would distract us. Lord, that we would understand the principles that you have for us and, and we would live those out to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, if you were here, I gave you a little uh, tease about this week, this beautiful sweater that uh, I have. And, and I think it was second service last week when I mentioned the beautiful sweater, they all laughed. And, uh, but there's a story behind this sweater. And my uh, kids, uh, older kids, were in high school, and, and one of them came up to me and said, Dad, can I borrow one of your sweaters? And I'm like, sure, but be careful. That's valuable. And I'm sure I gave the valuable sweater you know, speech, and, and so, and then a day or two later, they, they came back and they said, could my friend borrow one of your sweaters too? And I'm thinking like, okay, something has to be going on here. Now, i tell you a little bit of background about some of my sweaters. There was a, a store that I, I have no idea why, but they were clearancing them. And this was back in the um, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, they were clearancing these, these sweaters like 90% off. And so I bought quite a few of them. I mean, other people never realized what they missed getting these sweaters. And so, but, so I, I asked... I asked, your friend wants to borrow one of my sweaters also? And they said, yeah, it's ugly sweater day at school, and we were hoping we could use them, and my friend's dad doesn't have any ugly sweaters. <laughs> well, my, I was crushed for several days. I was in deep depression. But they had a different view of my sweaters than... I did when I purchased them. And over the years, I've been getting rid of the most vibrant of my sweaters. I still have a couple fairly vibrant ones left, and I've, I've gone with a little more muted tone, and my kids cringe every time I wear one of my sweaters, so I, I, I limit it very much 
the ones I wear and I, and I go with the more muted tones in the sweaters I wear. But my kids don't necessarily agree with my fashion. And so there's sometimes a little, uh, I wouldn't say disagreement, because they say they just shake their head as they walk by. But God tells us that we're to put off and put on some things. Last week we looked at, at some things that we were to put off. And if you remember from verses 5 through 9 of Colossians 3, we see, we see two lists of things that we're to put off. And, and they're a, a picture of more than that, but things as a follower of Jesus Christ that we shouldn't be known for. So I thought, you know, I have, a, I have the sweater, that's sort of an introduction, and, and I should find a, a, a tattered piece of clothing with some holes in it, and, and I could bring that to represent what we should take off. And, but have you ever gone to the store and tried to buy something with holes? It's cost twice as much as regular. I mean, a regular pair of jeans is like 30 bucks. A pair with holes and tatters is like 80 so I said, I can't do that. So I, I began to reach out to some friends and I found something that would picture this well. Right here. Oh. <laughs> now, now I got to say something here. I, I wanted to catch your attention. And, um, but anyway, uh, it was a gracious Grizzly fan and they actually even knew what I was going to say with this. And, and as a kid, I grew up in Bozeman and Belgrade, as many of you know, and so my second favorite team every weekend was whoever was playing the Grizzlies. And, and my, I, have, I have mellowed a lot since then, and I appreciate the opportunity for friendly banter back and forth between Cat fans and Grizz fans. But, but actually, we can look at the backside and see the things that we're to put off. It says we're to put off, and I understand you're not going to be able to read these, but I'll read them for you. Uh, sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, and lying. Those are the things that we're to put off. They should not be characteristics that we are known for. And so Paul has said, listen, as because of the judgment of Christ and because we're no longer who we used to be, we should not be known for those characteristics in our lives. But now he goes on and, and shares the wardrobe that we should have. And in verses 10 and 11, we see a little bit of a transition here. A reminder of, of what God has torn down in order for us to have a new wardrobe. We could call it breaking barriers. We find those in verses 10 and 11. Follow along as I read Colossians 3, 10 and 11. It says, and have put on the new man. And remember, we stopped in the middle of a sentence. We've put off these other things. Now, beginning verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, 
we have to understand a couple things as we begin this viewing this section this morning. Our life shouldn't just be about what we get rid of as Christians. Unfortunately, uh, our relationship with God is oftentimes just a list of don'ts. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, I don't do this, 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 and this, and I don't have any fun. No, we have joy in Christ. And we also need to recognize that those things that, that we no longer do and other things that we're going to put on cannot be done in our power. We can try as hard as we can in our own human power and we will fail miserably. We need to recognize our change in lifestyle occurs when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And it's our being available for His construction in our lives that make us different people. And so he begins... By saying that we're to be renewed. That term renewed means new in quality. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We are made holy. And if you remember last week, we talked about two terms that are important to understand. We call them positional and practical sanctification. Sanctification, to be set apart, to be made holy. And our positional sanctification occurs when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, He has paid the penalty for our sins. We have a peace treaty with God. We are declared righteous. But then throughout our lives, we are called to be more like Christ. This practical sanctification See, we have to understand that the new man brings new life, but it doesn't bring instant maturity. God needs to be working in our lives, throughout our lives, that we become more like Jesus Christ. And that is the goal in my daily life. And that's the idea of the putting off and putting on. I am a new creation. I am renewed in knowledge. As we become renewed in knowledge, as we grow in Christ and the understanding and the applying of His Word, we mature. The Bible talks a lot about that maturity. We don't stay in infancy physically. We're not to stay in infancy spiritually. It talks about uh, having the pure milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. And then it says that we're to, we're to desire the meat of the Word as we continue to mature. Romans 12.2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that new in quality as we become more like Jesus Christ. And so then in verse 11, Paul shares some of the barriers that Christ has broken down. 
And they can be broken down into four different types of barriers that were evident in their culture, and they're evident in our culture. They were evident in the first century. They're evident in the 21st century. The first one in verse 11, he says that there's neither Greek nor Jew. The racial barriers. The Jews were forbidden to enter a Gentile house. They, they could not eat food that was cooked by a Gentile. They wouldn't buy meat that was prepared by Gentile butchers. At the temple, they would have areas that the Gentiles could not go into. They had the court of the Gentiles, that only place, only the place that the Gentiles could go to. We see that, that as the Jews came back into their territory, into their Jewish land, they would shake off their clothes and their sandals to get rid of that Gentile dust. Now, they weren't the only ones that struggled with racial issues. But they definitely did. And if you remember, as we've had gone through the Gospels and looked at some of the different situations that took place in the Gospels with that area in the middle of Israel called Samaria. And, and Samaria, they're right in the middle, and so you had a lower portion of Israel where Jerusalem and Bethlehem and other cities were, and then you had the upper region of Israel that, that had places like Galilee and, and where Jesus spent a great deal of his time growing up. But in the middle was that area Samaria. And the Samaritans were half-breeds. And the Jews despised the Samaritans. In fact, it was so bad their hatred for the Samaritans, that, that if at all possible, they would go around Samaria. Now you have to understand, they didn't have airplanes and automobiles to get from one place to the other quickly. And so they, but they would take miles and miles of extra, time, or extra length of their trip just to avoid Samaria. Because they despised the Samaritans so much. It would be like us going to Great Falls, but not going through Wolf Creek or Cascade. Instead, we'd, we'd go over and around to Avon and then up and then over through Lincoln and all the way around, adding miles and miles to our trip just to avoid those Cascadians. And so they had incredible racial barriers. But the gospel in Jesus Christ was to break down those barriers, just like it should break down barriers in the 21st century. And not only racial barriers, but, but they struggled with religious barriers. It says that neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. That great battle of whether the Gentiles would be allowed into this church with the Jews. And, and if they were, whether or not they would have to follow all of the Jewish law. One of the most familiar and famous ones, was that of circumcision. That's why he said circumcised or uncircumcised. It was a picture of the whole law. 
And, and the church, the early church that was, that was exploding numerically and impacting the world was struggling with this question. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, we see that, that the church leaders got together and debated whether Gentiles should be allowed and if they were, what their role should be or not be. And what should be expected of them as far as following the Jewish law. But, but we see that, that we find that the gospel in Jesus Christ break down or breaks down religious barriers. And then he goes on and, and he mentions barbarian or Scythian, the, the cultural barriers. Cultured, well-educated Greeks or Jews would, would look with contempt on those who were not like them. They would be considered barbarian. A little different than we see barbarians today. Still somewhat of a negative connotation, but some of the movies, what are the, the uh, barbarians are rugged, good-looking, manly people, right? Yeah, ooh, I want to be like that. The, the barbarians, it was not a nice term. It was considered those people who spoke with inarticulate or stammering speech. Not as cultured as everyone else. And the Scythians, the Scythians were a, a literal tribe of people that lived in an area of Russia, and they were known as the most uncivilized, pagan, and crude people in the world. So if you were called a Scythian, it was not a positive name. But, but not only the Jews, but the Greeks also, these cultured people that were part of the church would look upon others and look down on them. But the gospel breaks down. Jesus Christ breaks down cultural barriers. And then we see neither slave nor free, the social barriers. Slave were, were, slaves were considered little, little more than property. Aristotle said that a slave was a living tool. Now obviously in our own nation we, we face the, the battle over slavery. And we are grateful that that has been defeated. And obviously there's still some issues that are going on like in the sex slaves and other things. But yet we recognize the horribleness of slavery. But in the culture where they lived, they, they had those who were free and those who were slaves. And oftentimes the free looked down on the slaves. There's a man in the New Testament, Paul wrote a letter to him, his name was Philemon. And he had a slave named Onesimus who had run away and had met Paul in Rome. And gave his life to Jesus Christ, and, and Paul sent him back. 
But here's what Paul says to Philemon in verses 15 and 16 of Philemon 1. It says, For perhaps he departed, that's Onesimus, for a while for this purpose that you, Philemon, might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The idea of we are brothers. Jesus Christ in the gospel breaks down social barriers. And we look at these things and we say, yeah, there should be no racial barriers, no social barriers, no cultural barriers. But yet we may struggle with it. We can look down on others who aren't like us. But Jesus Christ wants to remind us that we are all precious, equally precious in God's sight. And in the church, all lives should matter. It doesn't matter our background, our position, our power, our bank account. Nothing matters before Christ. We are all one in Him. And then he comes to this new wardrobe in verses 12 through 14. It says, therefore, verse beginning in verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so, all, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection." You know, God has been in the clothing business from the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve started that new company, the Fig Leaf Clothing Company, God stepped in and He introduced holy woolens. Now, we see different times in the Bible the picture of clothing to describe our relationship with God and with others. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We are clothed in salvation from God. Ephesians chapter 6, another example, describes the armor of God that we're to clothe ourselves in. We're to put it on. Here in Colossians chapter 3, we find clothing that we're to wear for our daily lives. In these verses, Paul is sharing some of the character traits that we're to put on. I'm sure every single one of us has asked the question, what should I wear? Paul helps us answer that question. Now maybe you have the question, I have nothing to wear. Depending on who that comes from, that means a couple different things. If a lady says, I have nothing to wear, it probably means she has nothing new. If a man has nothing to wear, it means he has nothing clean. Uh, just seeing if you're still awake there. But, but what should I wear? So we're going to go to the clothes rack this morning and find some of the garments that we're to put on. Some of these things that we are to be known for. And we have a trendsetter who has helped us, this fashion guru. And that's Jesus Christ. Because He wears all of these things. And as he walked here on earth in the first century, he demonstrated 
He walked the line demonstrating what these clothes look like. So let's follow his lead and see some of the things that Paul reminds us of that Jesus wore and that we're to wear also. The first one we see is is tender mercies. We're to put on tender mercies. What are tender mercies? Heartfelt compassion. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes and saw their needs. We're to be like Jesus Christ. We're to have that compassion in our lives. That compassion's not necessarily earned or deserved, but it should be freely given. And not only that, we see kindness. A little more muted sweater here. Our kindness should be not look at me, look what I have done, but rather we quietly demonstrate a concern for others as we act for their good. It's interesting that term that we've translated kindness in the Greek actually was a word that was used to describe a wine that had mellowed. What a great picture. When we respond with grace and kindness in the lives of others. A great example of kindness is the man David in the Old Testament with a a young man named Mephibosheth. Now, you have to understand that, that in that culture, when a, a new kingly line came into being, the, the old king and their relatives would be most often executed. If not, at least they would be banished from the empire. But what did David do? to Mephibosheth, who was actually the grandson of King Saul. He brought him in. He gave him all of the land that his grandfather had owned. By the way, King Saul owned a lot of land. And then he had him eat at his own table. A sign of honor, plus a pretty good meal plan that David gave to Mephibosheth. He demonstrated kindness to this young man. Not only that, but we're to demonstrate humility. Even a little more muted in this. Humility is to think properly about yourself. We're to live lives of humility. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And listen to what he says next. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus lived a life of humility. Now, humility in the Greek culture was frowned upon. It wasn't considered a virtue, it was considered a vice. If you wanted to, to be someone... You would get humility out of the closet. You would take it to the local landfill and get rid of it. It wasn't something you wanted to wear. But yet, Jesus lived and reminds us that we are to be 
humble. And in Philippians chapter 2, it describes Jesus' humility as he came to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins. He took upon the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. The most miserable and humiliating of executions. And we're to follow that pattern. We're to, to dress like Jesus. We're to put on humility. And we have to understand what humility is. There's two errors that we have in humility. The first error is a, is a fake humility. And we've all seen that, right? That person that actually in their humility is like, look at me. But a second error in humility is we think that humility means that I have to, you know, I, I think less of myself. I put myself down. That's not what humility is. It's not, and this has been said by someone much smarter than me, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. We are created in the image of God. Now, we are sinful human beings. But we should never have a self-worth issue. And I realize it's a battle that many Christians face. I'm not saying it's not a battle, but when we really think about it, I am created in the image of God. Not only that, but God thought so much of me that He gave His Son Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I am precious in the eyes of God. I'm also called to be humble, to think of myself less. And then we see meekness. Meekness is power under control. Oftentimes we think of meekness as, as being wimpy. Jesus said that he was meek. He tells us that, that we have that characteristic of meekness. It's a, we are blessed when we have that characteristic. It's power under control. The word that we translate meek was actually a, a word that described horses under the control of the rider. Incredibly powerful, but being under control. And we're called to be meek. We're to put on the sweater of meekness. And then the last one is long-suffering or patience. How many times did, did Jesus demonstrate patience with the disciples. His followers, and, and over and over, they would mess up. When the going got tough, the disciples ran. But ye, Jesus demonstrated patience in their lives, and we're called to have that patience, that term long-suffering, to suffer long. Compare it to one of the things of last week that we're to get out of the closet. And that was that wrath, that I blow up, that short fuse, that quick temper. Where instead of being quick tempered, we're to be long suffering. And we're called to have that patience. And then it's interesting because in verse 13, 
He has a couple one another's, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Why did he go, okay, these are the things you're to have and that forgiving and, and, for, and bearing with one another seem to fit with, with the characteristics in verse 12. But what is that? That is how we respond to those people who aren't very fashionable. Those people who are famous for their fashion faux pas. Those people that are, that are walking around wearing the sweaters of verses 5 through 9 instead of the sweaters of verse 12. I'm to bear with them. Fits very well with long-suffering. It could be a sweater-scarf combo. The long-suffering or the patience and bearing with one another. Bearing with one another to hold back judgments. But oftentimes in our life, we want to be judge, jury, and executioner. But Jesus said, no, to bear with one another. And then he goes on, not only that, but we're to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And when we think, you don't understand, John, that person, you don't know what they did to me. Guess what? According to Jesus Christ, it doesn't make a difference. Because we're to forgive and follow His example in that. That spouse or sibling or friend or ex-friend or workmate or neighbor, they have done something to you that hurts. And it hurts deep and that hurt is real. But we're called to forgive. To dress like Jesus did and including that the garment of forgiveness. That we're to live and to wear in our life. Corey Tenboom, her and her family were protected Jews from the Nazis. And she, as well as other in, others in her family, were placed in concentration camps. Corey herself survived the concentration camp. Miraculously, you can read her story in her book called The Hiding Place. She's written more than that, but that's probably the most famous book about Corey Tenboom's life. But I know one of the stories of Corey Tenboom's life as she was sharing, telling her story, and in the audience was one of those German guards of the concentration camp where she was. And according to the story, after her talk, this guard came up and asked for forgiveness. This one that had treated her so horribly. Family members who died from the actions of him and others like him. And what was going through her mind as she responded. And she chose to forgive. She didn't feel like forgiving, but she chose to forgive. 
And there are several amazing quotes of forgiveness given by Corey Tenboom. I picked one out from her from her book, Clippings from My Notebook. She wrote this. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. We are to forgive. So when those people around you aren't dressed like God calls us to be dressed, we need to bear with them to reserve judgment. And we need to forgive. That's what we're called to do. And so Paul has laid out these things that we're to have in our lives, these characteristics that we're to put on, and then how we respond to those who aren't dressed well. And then in verse 14, he says that we're to do something very interesting. We're to do it all in love. And love is like the belt that holds it all together. If I don't have love, I can't have those tender mercies, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the long-suffering. I can't bear with one another. I can't forgive one another. It needs to be held together in the belt of love. And we're to put on this belt each and every day in our lives as we're called to love one another. It's interesting that that belt... If you look at the Ephesians passage of, of the armor of God, it's the belt of truth. We're in, when we're in battle, we need to have the truth. When we're in relationship, we need to have love. And both of them are vital in our lives and in our relationships. Truth and love. And so this belt holds it all together. And then we see in verses 15 through 17, this section closes. And you look at those and it seems like it's a whole different thing, but it's really not. It's guidelines for our conduct. In verses 15 to 17, it says this, beginning in verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three guidelines for our actions. Three guidelines that will allow these characteristics to be fully demonstrated in our lives as we act toward one another and as we respond to God. The first one is the peace of God there in verse 15. The peace of God, let it rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. That peace of God, it's both a fact and a feeling. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us that. Having peace with God. It's like the idea of a peace treaty. But not only that, God gives us peace in our lives, that inner sense of calm, that feeling of peace. John 14.27 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God gives us peace. No matter our circumstances, we can have that inner calmness, that peace that only God can give. 
as a Christ follower, people should see our lives, and even in the most difficult of times, they should see that peace flowing through us, coming from God through us, demonstrated in our lives. We have peace. But not only that, that, that term rule, let it rule in your lives, that rule was the term used for the umpire, for the judge in the Greek games. They were famous for their games. We get the Olympics from that. But that judge or that umpire that was in charge of guiding the competition to make sure it was fair. When making a choice, when contemplating an action, do I have peace? Is my, is my decision consistent with the fact that Jesus and I are on the same team? And do I have a deep, deep abiding rest in my soul? And then we see and be thankful that peace and that gratitude are linked together. Not only that, but we see the, not, the, not only the peace of God, but the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Word of Christ is the Bible says that it dwells in us richly, that term dwell, to live or to be at home in. Richly, abundantly. I need to be consumed and controlled by God's Word. And that's going to guide my life. It's going to direct my actions. And it will allow my wardrobe to be godly. And then finally, the name of the Lord in verse 17, that should affect all that you do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Will my actions honor Jesus Christ? I must act consistently with who He is and what He wants. Would it be embarrassing when others find out that I'm a Christ follower? Or do they see no difference in my life? Am I still wearing the clothes of verses 5 through 9, but claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Instead, I need to clean out the closet and put in the new things through the power of the Holy Spirit as He works in my life. And I need to wear these sweaters proudly. And guess what? I also need to wear them all at the same time. So I think I'm going to take them home and make my kids put them all on. <laughs> just to teach them. No. The reminder is, all of these characteristics should be evident in my life. And when people look at me, do they see Christ that's the question let's pray father thank you for your goodness and your love I pray that you would help us today to be encouraged in our position in Christ if we if we've trusted you as Savior Lord that, that we are declared righteous that we are in a position of peace and that we have an eternal hope but Lord help us also each day to recognize the importance of putting on these godly characteristics. And then when people look at us, they see you. We'll give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.